if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Today's guest on Horse Chats is Claudia McClay, who's had a background in recreational horses. She's a qualified coach. She's teaching at Centennial Park, Sydney, and amongst other places, and I might ask her a question or two about that. She's done the largest and most detailed study ever undertaken in Australia on feeding and management practices of horses, and she's in the process of preparing for her PhD in equine nutrition. I'm sure we'll learn a lot about feeding, equine nutrition, and associated things today. How are you today, anyway? All good, all good. Really uh, excited to be on the show. Good, good. Now, Claudia, we normally start off with a favourite quote. What have you got? Yep. I think... My favorite quote has got to be one from Pat Pirelli. Yep. It's pretty well known. It's, if your horse says no, you either ask the wrong question or you ask the question wrong. And mm-hmm. I really think this quote is so important. It's about not placing the blame on the horse. Yes. But it needs to be up to, up to us as owners, trainers, and carers to correct our miscommunications and to learn from the horse. So, yeah, that's really one of my favorites. Mm, mm. I think he's got quite a few, hasn't he? He's got a very good way with words. Yeah, look, there's a lot of great quotes out there, but I try and remember that when I'm in the saddle. If I, yep. you know, if I get a leg yield wrong, if I do, if I ask something wrong, it's up to me. What did I do? Tried. What yep. have I done? Exactly. Yep. That, yep. That's yep. my one. Yeah. All right. Now, starting with horses, what age were you? Tell us about some early memories with you with horses. Yeah. Sure. So my earliest memory would be when my parents bought me my first plastic horse. I was yep. three. <laughs> and I was hooked. Yep. Um, this little plastic horse is still sitting on my bookshelf at home at 25 years old wow. now. His name's Otie. So, yeah, a very old and battered horse. Um, but at the same time where I was living, there was a little girl in my street who loved horses and both of us would play for hours and hours with our horses. And as I grew older, my mum could see I wasn't growing out of the horses. Mm-hmm. I loved them. And every school holidays, I got to go to pony camp. Every school holidays, I went on trail rides. And mum let it just keep going from there until it was lessons, you know, every fortnight, then lessons every week, then lessons a couple of times a week. <laughs> and, um, yeah, the rule was always, though, you're only allowed a horse after you finish high school because yeah. mum wasn't going to clean a stable. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so, I think you, you've yeah, had a good a background, but I love the little plastic horse. I think that's cute. He's still yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I looked back yeah. on him. <laughs> now, tell us about your career with horses because you actually started off at uni doing something else, didn't you? You know, you probably thought. I really that, did. Yep. Yeah. So I started uni at the University of New South Wales at the College of Fine Arts, doing fine arts, mm-hmm. um, majoring in sculpture. And I had a bit of a clash with a uh, lecturer in second year. He didn't want me to keep doing artworks of horses. And. <laughs> Being the horse person, I was was very passionate about doing horses. And that really, um, it really upset me. I just wanted to do that. So I started spending more time with my horses, just riding more. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go into coaching. So I did my Question Australia coaching certificate. And 
every time I learned something, I wanted to know more. I yes. wanted to know why. Mm-hmm. You know, you learned the 10 rules of feeding horses, and I said, well, why? Why do you have to feed little and often? Why are they doing this? And I finished the coaching certificate, got my coaching. I did a little bit of that. And then I enrolled in equine science at Charles Stowe Uni. And that, that's where you start to learn the why. And I graduated from that 2015. And for the last two years, I've been working on my Bachelor of Science Honours. I handed that in two weeks ago, um, a little bit <laughs> late finishing. But it was majoring in equine nutrition, and that mm-hmm. was the study that I did mm-hmm. on feeding and management practices of horse owners in Australia. So this study that you did, what were the main points? You know, if you had to pick out three main points that you found, because you're the person who's always asking why, that you found through the study. Yep. So number one, horse owners in Australia are underestimating their horse's body condition score. Mm-hmm. We're looking at our horse and saying they're good, but really our horses are verging on close to obese and fat. Okay, so that's the first one. Yes. Number two. We're overfeeding our rations and we're not taking into account seasonal changes in pasture. And this hasn't just been found in my study. Um, another study by Buckley et al. has found that. Um, so over, we're not changing our rations, basically. In winter, when we have less pasture, we still feed the same as we do in spring when our pasture starts growing and going wild. And we're not managing that to manage that obesity. So you see a lot of horses in spring, they get really fat. And then you see a lot of people saying, winter, oh, my horse is lost condition. But you need to feed accordingly. So mm-hmm. in summer, mm-hmm. you know, over spring when there's lots of grass, you feed a little bit less. Over winter when there's more, when there's less, you feed a bit more. So that's what we didn't see. Um, and the third biggest point is that horse owners are actually poorly managing their pastures. Um, 60% of pastures in this study were overgrazed. Now, I had over 4,500 responses across all of Australia. So to say 60% of people are overgrazing their pastures, that's a lot. But pastures are the cheapest way to feed your horse. They only cost $0.04 cents a kilo. Um, that's a lot less than anything else. So if you have well-managed pastures, it's cheaper for you. It's better for your horse. It's better for the environment. And, um, yeah, that's, that's sort of the three biggest findings of this study. Yeah. Yep. Just to do with the pastures and the overgrazing, you know, I'm just thinking, because some people might say, right, well, I've got a certain amount of land. This is where I keep my horse. Yeah. And that's it. And this is the stable and the yard that's associated with that bit of land. What can they do if they've got a certain bit of land, you know, to just maximise the value? Yeah. To get more. Because sometimes if you cut them up, you know, they just end up dirt piles. But what can they do? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So this is when you have, number one, cut, yep. divide your paddocks up, have what you call strip grazing. So if you're only on five acres, okay, so yes. look, I'm going to have four acres split up for each little paddock. I will not overgraze them. At the moment, I know a lot of people are in drought. This is when you have what you call a sacrifice paddock. So this is an area which, yes, it will become dirt. So you stop your horses from overgrazing that pasture. Don't, don't let it turn into dust. When it's really wet, pop your horse into a sacrifice paddock so they don't churn up all the ground. So you have to have an area which you say, yep, this is just put aside to make sure that my pastures are well managed, that, you know, your horse doesn't become obese on pasture, that your laminitic pony has a place to stay when he's not on pasture. Um, And that's a really good way of managing your pastures. There's a lot of good resources out there for managing pastures in Australia, especially for laminitic horses as well. Um, But, yeah, that's the first thing you say. Have a sacrifice area 
and start dividing up pastures into grazing blocks and say, yep, they'll graze this one for you know a couple of days, put them in the next one, let that grass grow again. And yeah, they're pretty good on that system as a rotational grazing system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, now just as a general percentage, what percent body weight should we be feeding to our horses? Yep, so generally they'll say it's 2% body weight. Mm-hmm. But that's very difficult because if your horses are on pasture, they will be eating and eating and eating, and horses can eat well over 2% of their body weight, and that's why they get fat. Um, if you've got a ration, you'd definitely just start with looking at, number one, if you've got if your pastures are um, adequate, you don't need a ration. That okay. is something that I found in this study. Well-managed pastures are adequate. You've got a lot of them. There's a lot of biomass there. You don't need to feed a ration. Mm-hmm. If you're in drought feeding conditions, aim for 2%. You don't want to be feeding over because then you're wasting money on horses becoming fat. And they're over conditions. You can just keep them in a good body condition score. So, yes, 2% body weight for a 500-kilo horse, that's the average, you'll be looking at 10 kilos of dry matter. Um, if you've got poor quality hay, you'll need to feed more to meet that dry matter percentage. So um, just as a rough example, a horse eating just wet grass, if you say wet matter, just wet grass, can eat up to 80 kilos a day. Mm, mm. I think that's, um, you talk about dry matter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's everything without the water content. So that's what's really important to remember, that fresh grass is different from your hay. So if we're talking about just hay, um, you'd say, yep, dry matter percentage is that. 80% 80% for something like good quality lucerne, so you feed about 12 kilos. So you do have to feed a lot to a big horse. Mm, mm, mm. All right. Look, we'll come back to that, I think. But thinking about for someone working with horses, because you've worked with horses, you know, you've sort of worked in a couple of different areas. I imagine that when you're working in Centennial Park, it was a pretty busy place. And a, a few people, if you were looking for someone to work there, what sort of core skills or character traits? do you think that they'd need to work in a busy riding school? Definitely. I think this goes for all people, everyone involved in horses. You need to have patience. Mm -hmm. That's always a good one. And the ability to step back from the situation. You know, whether it's at 9 o'clock at night and your horse will just put its legs to the fence or you're riding and that half pass doesn't work, getting upset and frustrated never helps. You have to just take a breath in, step back and say, what has gone wrong? Okay. Because I've seen a lot of people get very flustered and they get upset and then things just spiral and it seems to get out of control. But the best horse people I've seen take a breath, they go slow and they have patience and it helps you and it helps the horses so much more. So that's what I say. As long as someone has a little bit of patience and the ability to take a breath, they're the best skills that you can have. It's sort of going back to that original quote that you said too, isn't exactly, it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. What Pat Bradley says, you know, you mm, ask the wrong mm. question, or did you ask the question wrong? Mm, <laughs> so, mm. yeah, for us to say, look, you know, it's up to us, not so much the horse. Yep. yep yeah. Yep, yep. All right. What do you think is the best thing about working with horses? Yeah, I actually thought about this. Um, I think even though the equine industry is so varied, you know, you've got racing to riding schools. Yep. Um, the best thing is seeing how passionate people are towards looking after their horses. And people are very passionate towards their horses having good welfare. Yep, and yep. That, that really inspires me. It makes me feel really pleased to be in the industry, but I know that if I'm doing something, it's going to help people and it's going to help them help their horses. And, yeah, I really love that part of it. Yeah, 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 I think so too. 
I think so. What about people who've helped you? Who do you think's helped? Yeah. Besides a friend down the road that started off with her horse and your horse and, yeah. you know, I'm yep. sure she would have had an influence earlier on. Yeah. Definitely. I think the person who probably has influenced me the most would be a woman. Um, her name's Beryl Chick. Mm-hmm. She was the first person to give me riding lessons. I think I started when I was six with her. Um, she actually passed away in May this year. She was 97. Wow. But when Beryl was younger, she rode in rodeo, she did riding, <laughs> she actually performed for the Queen when she came to Australia in 1954. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this lady, Beryl Chick, she was actually a Riley, and her great-grandfather was the man who the man from Snowy River, the poem, was based on. Wow. Was this incredible equine family. Um, but when I rode with Beryl, even when I was little, her mantra was always be stocked with your hands and be kind to the horse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I get the saddle, I think back to all those years ago with Beryl and I think, yep, be stocked with your hands, be kind to the horse. And I try and make her proud. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's the person I think who's influenced me the most, you know, this wonderful little old lady with, gnarly hands and <laughs> bow legs. So, yeah. Trying to imagine her. What about horses? You must have had um, your first horse or a horse that's influenced you or a few. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that the horse that's influenced me the most has definitely been what my most current horse, Indy. Indy is a little thoroughbred mare and she had big problems. She still has some problems. They always do. Um, I got Cindy just before I started equine science. And I had to change myself as a rider and as a horse person when I had Cindy because before I had it, I think I was a very complacent. I'd had always very, very good horses. So, you'd, you know, they're push-button ponies. Mm. Um, and I was a little bit ignorant. I didn't know enough at the time. I know a little bit more now. But looking back, Cindy was a rearer. She didn't know. Andrew McLean told me this part. She didn't know go, stop, left, right, backwards, all these core skills that she had as a little horse off the track, she didn't have. So I had to learn all that. I had to learn. She hated being stabled. I had to learn, you know, that stabling is not for every horse. I had to I had to learn a lot with her about patience. Yeah. And, um, yeah, but if I hadn't had her, I would have stayed as the rider I was if I'd chosen a, a better well-trained horse. Um, so I've had to learn so much about horses. And she took me on my journey. Mm-hmm. So she took me on the journey into more towards equine science, you know, why is this horse doing this? And even as I was in equine science, you know, starting to push yourself and go, well, why is it Why is it so? Why did the horse not do that, you know? And you can really break it up into those equitation science points, you know. Does the horse know stop? Does the horse know left or right? And, yep, yep. Um, yeah, Cindy ticked a lot of boxes and no, she didn't. Yeah. But um, she's definitely been the biggest influence. Okay. If it cool. wasn't for her, I wouldn't have... Uh, wouldn't have changed. <laughs> yeah. What about your proudest moment? What do you think that's been? Yeah, um, I would say, <laughs> I could think about this for a really long time, um, it was the first time I galloped on a horse. I would have been okay. 10 years old, yep. just becoming yep. more and more confident. The man on the ride said, do you want to gallop? And I was riding a little Papaloose pony, and I just wanted to be like the big kids. Yep. And off we went up this hill, you know, just that total exhilaration, the wind, the speed, the sound. And I must have floated for a week after I was so proud of myself. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. So you can't you can't get away from good gallop. Yeah. Yep. Even yep. now. <laughs> I'm going to go back to your study, you know, the whole study in the equine nutrition. Putting it all together, just the process of it, what do you think was the most challenging part of 
getting the information from people, putting it together and getting the study done? What do you think that would have been? It was enormous. I would say yeah. <laughs> um, the seven months I sat at my computer writing the results because it was massive. Okay. Um, so not putting the results out there in the first place, but because you had all that information, putting it all together. Yeah, yeah. so I didn't anticipate, number one, how big it would be. So like I, said, I got 4,500 usable responses based on um, 6,000 horses, mm-hmm. but I asked each person 205 questions. That, that's a lot of questions. <laughs> um, so my data is very, very accurate. It's very, very um, intense. It's quite, it's quite a lot of it. But you know, seven months it took me to write the results. Um, considering that other people only took a few weeks, um, yeah, it was a big mental challenge. But it will bring about change in the industry, and it will be absolutely, um, you know, really great, great data for people to look at and to use. And for the next, you know, for the next people studying and for the next researchers, it's a really good. It'll be a great project. Now, Claudia, the two hundred and five questions. I've got to ask you about them. I did the study. I was one of the several thousand people that you got the results back from. But the questions, how did you think about grouping them together? Did you think of the questions? Did you have input from other people? Just tell us a bit about how um, what your decisions were there. Yep, sure thing. So science builds upon science. But I went back and I looked at what other studies had been done in that area. And there have been some done, quite a few done in the UK, a couple done in America. And I actually asked a professor from Glasgow University who did a massive online study, what were your questions? And then I went back to the next person and said, what were yours? Because I wanted the data to be quite continuous. So I want to say, if this is what all people do in Australia, how can I compare it to the UK? Um, so a lot of questions did come from those past studies. But then I've needed questions on pasture management. So I went through and said, if I need to work out how much pasture is growing in your paddock, what question do I need to ask? So that was some of the questions on pasture height, pasture ground cover, growth rate, where are you? Um, and then there's some broad questions on demographics. But a lot of the final stage of this study was based on formulas from the nutrient requirements of horses. It's a set guide for feeding horses. So I had to ask people exactly um, what those formulas required. If you had a pregnant mare, how many months is she pregnant? Because that will tell me this is her energy requirement, this is her protein requirement, this is her mineral requirement. Um, so that's why some of the questions are very specific. If you had a fault, if you had a weanling, if you had, um, yeah, willing. So, and then, you know, what was their weight? So a lot of the questions were also based on inputting data for the formulas. So that was, that's how those questions really worked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty big. Yeah, it was. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, bigger than I had anticipated. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, just going back to the overfeeding and people misreading the um, condition scoring, what do you think the solution is there? Well, number one, mm. I think, and this isn't, like I said, just from my study, there have been others done. It's about people understanding what does a horse in a good condi- body condition score look like? We're becoming very used to seeing fat horses, and the more you see fat horses, the more you think it's acceptable, that it's normal, but it's not normal. Um, people like people often talk about top line in their horses, and top line is, of course, to do with muscle, but people like to fatten their horses up, and then they think that the fat is top line, whereas a horse is a big fat crest, There's no muscle sitting above there. So it is to do with what we perceive as normal. 
what the horse owners understand as healthy for their horses. Um, and yet just getting out there, the image. So some of this is also to do with the media. If, you know, you're the editor of a magazine saying, look, we're not going to accept horses that are very, very fast to be our um, model horse. So mm. things like that so that we change the perception of what we see. And it does need to be about horse health. Um, obesity in horses raises a lot of risk factors for diseases. You start looking at laminitis, insulin resistance. Um, then there's, especially in Australia, horses that are fat have problems dissipating heat. So that's a real issue if you're riding your horses in summer. You don't want them to be fat and struggling. So, yeah, there's a, a lot of horse problem, health problems that come from obesity. So we need to also think about that side of it, not just does your pony look nice and round and shiny in a show ring or, you know, just in the stable. Yep, yep. All right, so the education, you think, is more the magazine saying, we're sort of, you know, and I'm thinking because models, you know, is it the magazine saying we're not going to accept models, this is human models, under a certain thing, it's the horse magazine saying we're not going to accept our models over like a beast. Yeah, yeah. I, look, I think the Department of Primary Industries does have and, you know, Ag Victoria does have body condition scoring charts, but they're very roughly drawn. So I think you know, sort of my next project will be getting some really great drawings out there that are more accurate, getting photos of horses that are a little bit easier, photos for breeds. A lot of the information just looks like a thoroughbred, but, you know, it's a little bit difficult when you've got a Shetland pony or do you have a draft horse? So you want to have Questlab really good information for a specific breeds so that you can look at and use. So that's another thing that's getting out there. That comes back to us as equine scientists, that we need to make sure that horse people have the information. So there's a little bit to be done on both parties. All right. If you think of the rules of feeding, what do you think of the three main things that we need to think of? Say it's a new horse owner and they're asking you about feed. And they're saying, I already know the eight rules, the 10 rules, the 12 rules, depending on which book you've read. I know the rules of feeding, but what can you tell me about what to feed my horse? What would you say as a general thing? Yeah, sure. Number one, horses have evolved to be high-fibre trickle feeders. Mm -hmm. So you need to feed them high-fibre roughage diets, little and often. So that's what they're made to do. They are made to stand there and eat. So number one, feed little and often. Number two, high-fibre. And number three is going to be don't change your feeds quickly. Because yep. changing our feeds quickly, even within two weeks, if you've changed feeds within two weeks, increases colic risk. And colic is the biggest killer of horses. So even at the moment, I know people, if it's drought conditions and getting a new hay, don't feed them new hay straight away. Transition it slowly so that they've got a chance to change. So, yep, okay. feed little and often, feed fibre, make those changes slow. They're yep. your biggest three things. Yep, yep, good. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Claudia, if you've got a book, I know that you'd recommend that people read your study, but if they're going to have a book, and that's probably good too, but, (laughs) but a book, if you've got a book that people could read about feeding horses, what would you recommend? Yeah, sure thing. Um, So, look, I would definitely recommend um, Feeding Horses in Australia by Conky Keller and Trevor Jones. It is a publication from the um, RIRDC, the Rural Industries Research and Development Corporation. I know it's $45, 
Um, it is there is a copy available online to read. It's a little bit blurry though. Um, but look, it's a really well written, easy to understand guide on feeding horses mm-hmm. for Australian horse owners. I highly recommend it. It's it's a really really wonderful text. Okay, good. Good. And remember, you can find all the books recommended by our guests at horsechats.com slash books. You can have a look at the guest page for the individual book they recommended or just look at the recommended books by order of popularity at horsechats.com slash books. All right. What are you looking forward to now? I know you're getting ready for your PhD. It's going to be in equine nutrition. Equine nutrition is a pretty broad subject. What specialty or what are you looking at? What question are you going to ask? Yep. Um, at the moment, when formulating things in my head, I am interested in the gut microbial um, thing in the horse's stomach. So mm-hmm. looking at what's happening with the gut microbiome in the horse's large and small intestine, how does that change with feeding? Um, there's a lot of research at the moment going in people, but I'd be quite interested in pushing that with horses. But um, at the moment, the next big challenge for me is I'm heading off to Rome for the International Society on Equine Science. Um, yeah, so that's the next it's big challenge. It's going to be very actually. soon. Mm. Yes. Yep, that should be a good trip. Um, yeah. I went down to the so, last yeah. one. I think you were down there as well. Yes. The last one Wagga. in Wagga. Yep. yep. All right. Yeah, so there's a couple of things happening. Okay. But, um, yeah. Still got to think about that PhD topic because it's just so big. It's just so broad. <laughs> Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now, just in a few sentences, just summarize your philosophy in feeding horses. Yeah, I'd say there's always more to learn. Mm, <laughs> that mm. is what I've discovered after, yeah, seven years of equine science at uni. There is always more to learn. <laughs> and yeah. Okay. So that's what I'd say. But even for any horse owner, you know, whether you're riding, whether you're a farrier, whether you're doing race training, there's always more to learn. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Claudia, how can people contact you? The best way at the moment is by my email, um, just because I am heading overseas and I'll have a different phone number while I'm overseas. So, yeah, claudiamcclay at gmail.com, all one word all together. And we'll have those details on the page as well, which will be uh, horsechats.com slash Claudia McClay or just go to horsechats.com, search for Claudia or search for McClay. Claudia, thank thank you you for coming. Thank you for telling us about equine nutrition. Thank you for talking about the study that you've done and hopefully we'll get you back again soon. I'd like to hear a bit more about the topic obesity in horses. I think that you're a wealth of knowledge within that area and I'm sure that there's lots more. You know, we can learn a lot more as well. So look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much, Lois. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Thanks. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 